Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Tigers Talk Rugby. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Tiger Vision for providing us with the facilities and equipment to make this possible. It means a lot to me and CJ, and we're really enjoying ourselves. So with that, I'm Ethan Richards. I'm CJ Bickle. I would like to say I apologize for the sound of my voice. I'm recovering from the illness that Ethan gave me. So Last weekend. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we would like to introduce Tom Goodall. A, uh, the treasurer for the Clemson men's rugby team, as well as the starting fly half. So welcome on, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm ready to talk some rugby. Okay, well, obviously, first thing we want to talk about this last weekend. What a great weekend for uh, Clemson rugby, don't you think? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. So for the listeners at home, uh, this last weekend, the men's team played uh, Texas A&M on Friday. It was our first uh, D1A match, and it, it got the first one of the year and the first one of the D1A. So it was, you know, it was a good, uh, it was a good game, I'll say. Yeah, uh, the Clemson Tigers took the game 27 to 13, final time, and and a, a lot of great tries. And in fact, three tries were people's first tries of this of ever with Clemson rugby, actually which is a big deal. Two, two guys who come in as rookies played in that game and both put points on the board. So it's a exciting uh, for the future of Clemson rugby. Yeah, so the tries are scored by uh, Reed Brandt, Jack Desmond, Keaton Malden, and Ben Usery. And I think out of all of those, the most crucial one that really set everybody's like tone and set like lit the fire for everybody was uh, was Jacks, but we'll get back to that one uh, a little later on. So, how how do you guys think the uh, game started, especially with Utah? Like you know, playing fly half. What, what, what do you think that the, yeah, so the, the piece the, of the game was really early on? The game kicked off and it was intense. So obviously, as you said, first D one A match of the year. Things were hell for leather. We were going for it. Uh, they came up really hard in our face, um, and we had to we had to hold. Uh, the first 20 minutes, they were really up in our face. Um, we had to make a big defensive stand. I know they had that one breakaway where we had to have our uh, blindside wing go back and cover. Um, Jonah actually made a fantastic play where he was, was able to hold up a potential try. And uh, they took the early lead. They went up three points. Um, and then we managed to equalize. So it was tied. But uh, they... Um, they really took it to us in those first 30 minutes, I say, and we, we really had to had to rally to try and stay in it. Yeah, I think the, the halftime score was like six to three. So apart from three this, to six, if we're talking in terms yes. of Clemson, oh right, as right. yeah, Texas A and M so, was up by three points. Yes. Yes. So uh, I think the old we like talking about the game that we were playing, uh, we were we looked really good. Like as a team, we were we were looking good, so they were like we had phases of play. As soon as the nerves settled, I would agree. Yeah, right, right, right. But like initially, you could see that we were very nervous. We were knocking the ball on a lot. There was so many. Yeah, it was it was very shaky to start with. We we were quite frantic setting up on offense, especially. But I think as we got our nerves under control and started to get into the game. Um, things started to, to come together more. So. Yeah, um, I, but one thing that like, I thought, you, Tom, you did a good job at keeping some of your nerves straight because you, you had to come in and you were kicking all the penalty kicks and conversions for the team and you, you ended up with getting the, the tying the game in, at the 30 minute mark almost uh, with that conversion. It, it was a pretty far conversion. It wasn't it's yeah. not an easy one to hit, and you yeah, so, seemed rather composed. So uh, uh, Hunter Dossie, the backs captain, and I, we've been talking before the match, and, and he gave me the go-ahead to take kicks for this game. Um, he knew I, I'd kicked for the men's side previously, uh, and I'd been doing pretty well at that, and he'd seen me warm up a couple times and knew that I, I, I could make those kicks. So he, he gave, me the, gave me the trust, and, and it paid off for that. We tied it up in the third. 30th minute you said and um, and then I think I had uh, two conversions out of those four tries that were scored did. so yeah. um, 
and, and I think one of those would put us two points ahead uh, early in the second half. So it was, yeah, it was uh, good to reward the opportunity given to me by scoring the points. So, so uh, another thing about that first half, I, I know that was a kind of a pain for me. I don't know about you, but first of all, the heat. Ooh. It was hot, I, and it was a dry heat as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in that entire so the entire first half, there was not a single water break. There was not a period in time when uh, water could have gone on. And I was talking to uh, other players like Reed and Michael Jasinski, and they said that that was really affecting everybody on the field. And I would agree I, that like by by twenty minutes in, everybody was like cotton mouth. Exactly. Yeah. I know, uh, it I was it was ninety three or something. And by was, the time the game kicked off, yeah, it was yeah. really really hot. And I know, as you said, my mouth, twenty five minutes in, I was completely dry. Really needed some water. Actually, uh, Brooke Hopkins, the trainer for the game, um, she made the executive decision for the second half to say that it's too hot. The heat index was high high, and it was over the limit to where like they require you to take the 20 minute water break and it wasn't during the first half but by the time the second half swung around she looked at the index again and was like all right we have to take that water break so it, it i think that water break in the second half made made a big difference for both teams um, a lot of the a m guys you could see them kind of get come into that last 20 minutes of the game pretty rejuvenated as well i will say the a m boys <clears throat> for the entire uh the entire match I think they were a little bit fitter than we were but at the same time it, the heat really played a toll but one thing that the heat didn't affect was our scrums oh, and I will have yeah. to I will have to credit a little bit to Ethan because Ethan has been helping out a lot of the forwards especially with uh, with, the, with the scrum earlier on uh, like this week so what would you what was your take from the scrums we were dominating in the scrums some of it we were getting called because we would drive so intensely through an entire scrum that like it it, it almost it was kind of dangerous in some ways because like when the texas a&m guys were like standing up we would just drive upward with them and and so we were getting called on some of those but in my personal opinion from from being on the sideline of the game and watching through the whole game the ref should have probably started calling uh, penalties against them for like not keeping their action safe even when they're getting driven against. Um, things started to settle down a lot towards the end of that game when it came to scrums. Those last, that last 20 minutes, it was more competitive, I would say, in terms of like just keeping a sturdy drive going and keeping both teams a little bit lower. And, and I, I think it, it got safer. In a way, but I, I thought our, our scrums looked great um, yeah. from the Clemson side. So there was a one point in time, uh, the Clemson drive. So our you know, drive, and especially the initial drive, was so good that the referee was thinking that we were pushing early every single time. So there would be several times where they he'd come, or when we would come up to the scrum, he's like, "Hey guys, on that last uh, scrum, you guys were driving a little too early," but. You know, we it, yeah. was, it was clear and obvious that we were, you know, driving as soon as the ball was placed in. But I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah I um, actually on the sideline, you we we saw that call go in, and we were like, I, I it, you can I could see his argument um, as a, as a ref because we we were just as soon as that ball was like literally when that ball hit the ground, we hit the drive in, which is like it's that means that we're we're having high intensity um, as a program when it comes to making sure we get the drive off. But you, we, we did get a little jumpy. Um, and I, I do think that I, I would say that the ref made a hard decision and it was good in terms of keeping play safe. Yeah, and it's fantastic as a back because obviously I, I don't get to enjoy the scrums like <laughs> you guys do. But it's fantastic uh, when you're out in the back line and you see your side completely dominating the scrum because that a that gives you a fantastic attacking a platform on offense or b if you're on defense it puts them on the back foot because they're retreating and i know that we had at least two of our tries were a direct result of the scrum um, the first try scored by jack desmond 
was actually uh, their scrum. We were, on, we were on defense, but we had such a fantastic drive. We managed to put them on the back foot, and the ball came out of the scrum due to our pressure, and Jack was able to capitalize off that. Yeah, I remember that entire like, phase of play, because we had the ball within our own 22, or within their own 22, my bad. And we started doing like pick and goes, especially when we were five meters out. We are doing pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. And then Trey Reed, I'm sorry. I'm, wow. I'm sorry to call him out on this one. Sorry. <laughs> but picks the ball up, dives up over the, the end goal line, and just knocks it on. And I was like, oh, no. Trey really wanted that first try of his yeah. Clemson career. But it'll come soon. But anyway, he knocked it on. And so it was their scrum on the five, yeah. which was like, which was kind of, I don't know, not, not like, pr- like pressured, but we, I feel as if. It's we stressful. Were, yeah. It's stressful. That's, being that's word being on your own five and, yeah. and already knowing you've lost a majority of the scrums, whether they're your own or the other teams, exactly. like it's stressful. That, that mentally on a team that had just traveled 16 hour by car the, a lot of those guys come, came out there, and I mean, they were playing hard. They were giving hard rugby, but but when you're packing into a scrum, like it's the small details that matter. And so they that, they had the mental uh, point where they're tired. They realize they've lost a majority of the scrums throughout the whole game, and so that moment is just like it's an intense moment. Yeah. So from that scrum, we were able to drive them so much that their hooker, he just. Like he just beamed it by, like beamed it into his like own scrum, and it just came straight out of his, their own scrum. And Jack Desmond was able to just walk it in, walk it yeah. in, just tap it down with one hand, and you know, put easy five points on the board. And I feel like that was the the big momentum swing we we needed to really get into the end of that match where we became dominant. That, that was, was the moment that inspired us, I think. That was on the 50th minute. And, and those last 30 minutes is when, when you can go and see, like, there, there was one, one more time in the entire game Texas A&M scored. What, like, put any points on the board. Before that is when they scored half their points, really. And it was, I mean, it was in kicks, but that, that, was, that shows that they were able to retain the territory in the first half of the game much more clearly to, to force a penalty and allow them to get the kick in. But that second half of the game, when, when they only get one try, and that's the only time that they really attempted to go for points in any form during that last half of the game in that 30 minutes, like that's a, that's a big indicator. So, exactly. yeah. So, which, out of all the tries, which do you think was your favorite voice? My favorite was uh, Keaton Malden. Um, I, I, he, so he's a junior, but he just transferred to Clemson and is mm-hmm. now playing for us, and he's a rookie to the program. But we, we as in program, like I know uh, Hunter Dossey and, and Matthew Absher, they w- sat down and were, when they were discussing who should be the substitutes for the varsity side coming into this game, like that was one that was really talked about as being like, hey, this kid's, this kid's a good option. And he came onto the field uh, and, and he blocked a, he put on heavy pressure, blocked a kick, scooped it up and took it to the house. And that was just, that to me was just a moment of just not one player doing something iconic for the sake of trying to be the best guy on the field and be this out, out, like in front of everybody player, but somebody who put in the work to do what he knows is right for the game of rugby and then getting like great outcomes from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to say that my favorite was actually Ben Ostry's try. Um, <laughs> From, from a back standpoint, that one was just a, a perfect execution of, so we had, we had a scrum in the middle of the field and uh, we, we went blind. So we went to the, we stack all the backs on one side and then we have the eight man Reed Brand pick it and go the, the other side. And so he had support from, I know, the nine and the 15 and it worked through the hands out to Ben on the wing and he was just down the outside 
an absolutely perfect finish. Just was the, it was it was an he, excellent score. He is very fast. Would, so we we were kind of discussing this. Uh, I think it was either two days ago or three days ago about who the fastest player on the team was, and we were saying okay maybe like Keaton could be. Jack could Jack, be, Jack was, but after seeing that try, I think Ben, ben might be. Might be. I, I that try was right along the the, the where all the audience the was. That, that, yeah, the yeah. home supporter sideline, and and so he got he got one good like stiff arm in on on the on the player um, who was working a, a who's defending well, I would say, but he just out armed like he out he had the higher strength. Right. Yeah. He out muscled him. Yeah. Dominated. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then he just like the finishing the, speed. Yeah. Yeah. Tucked the ball and gone, and exactly. just took it to the house. And it was that you could hear just like the whole audience just uproar. Exactly. So, yeah, so that that was my favorite. Yeah, it was definitely a great individual effort from him. But uh, is there any other players that you guys would say um, had like a particularly good game? Anybody stand out? So I, I mentioned before, uh, but I, I do believe that Jonah Lamont, Lamont, yeah. Lamont uh, he had a really good game. Um, obviously, he managed to hold up that try. He made a, a couple of excellent defensive <laughs> tackles. For sure. Um, uh, so I think he had an excellent defensive game. Um, and it, it was his first D1A game for a while, wasn't it? Right, yeah. He's coming off of a, yeah. a surgery Surgeries, injury yeah, that exactly. came back uh, last year. He didn't get to play at all during the year. And uh, he put in hard work during this first couple weeks of the semester and and really earned his spot on the field. And then he came in and he chased down that ball. It was a break on the opposite side of the field, but he was willing to work in there and hold up the ball. And then on top of that, like, he missed one tackle. He turned to the, the sideline and he said, that's the only tackle I'm missing this game. And it was the only tackle he missed during the whole game. He said he was not going to miss a single tackle after that. And he didn't, especially when he uh, was on the other end of the field and throwing up in the dry line, got, got up, turned, made a big tackle, and then just like worked himself back over to throwing up again. Like, it was, it was uh, he worked hard. I, Maybe a little fitter, obviously, if he's throwing up in the middle of the game, but... What about you, you think, particularly had a, a big game? I was very impressed with all of our subs. I, 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 would say, I would say every person that went in as a substitution during that game for Clemson really like, put in some work and... and made an impact in a, in a way that was like, brought back some fire to the guys who'd been on the f field for the whole game. They, they would see guys like Ben coming in or Keaton come in who were both try scorers for the team during this game and, and everybody got rejuvenated from that. Um, but if I were to pick a singular player that impressed me the most, I would say Reed Brandt. Offensively, he inserted himself well. He made good pass decisions, and and he held the ball and carried it through when he needed to. Defensively, he made some key tackles, and and I was I was pretty impressed with his play overall. Yeah, Reed Reed, Reed got through a mountain of work during that game. I know he had the second to last try, but defensively he was outstanding. The number of times working in the line with the backs coming up hard that hard press and he was able to make back er, tackles in the backfield that are crucial because they really put the opposition on the back foot if you can cut them off while they're still working it backwards and make them have to work around then you really put the pressure on them and he was he was instrumental in getting that pressure up there yeah i'd, I'd agree so for my player, actually, I have two people I would like to shout out. So, even though he knocked the ball on in the end, <laughs> oh boy. But Trey had a fantastic game. He had a really good game. And, like, being my, you know, he's, the, he's the tight to my loose. And he had, a, he had a great game because we, so obviously, with those scrums, 
a lot of the pressure, and at least technically, the like the tight head spot is probably one of the most technical positions in all of rugby. So having him there and being able to put that in, that that like his or the loose on uh, Texas A&M side under pressure and make him uncomfortable definitely helped because I could feel it from his side that hit that loose head was uncomfortable. And since he was uncomfortable, the hooker was uncomfortable. The hooker was uncomfortable. The other, the tight head was uncomfortable. So it made everything really, really easy with the scrum. So I will say, I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to Trey uh, on those scrums because he did a fantastic job. And on defense, he's a tough boy. He's a tough boy to get past. So he made a, I think he made a couple of positive tackles towards the end of the game. And he also played like a full 80 minutes for yeah. a prop. That's insane. Yeah, he every, actually, I think he's played 80 minutes every game he's been in. Yes, every game he's been in, he's played 80 minutes. That's insane for Trey. That's impressive. He's a big man. Yeah, he's a big boy. So. So, and then he also had a really good breakaway. So, <laughs> so it was after a, he, it was, I think it was either halftime or during a water break or after a try or something like that. And the coach comes, you know, our coach comes up to us. And he's like, he looks at uh, Trey and myself, and he goes, I want you guys to run hard lines and run the ball as hard as you physically can. And I will say Trey definitely, definitely uh, held up his side of the bargain because he made one, one really good line. Just he stepped on one dude, and he was gone. And he made like yeah. 20, 30 meters, got a nice, uh, you know, got a nice chunk of uh, territory. It was a really good. Everybody was excited. Uh, you, I, could, you could feel the earth shake when he was running down. For sure. Everybody, I, I remember the whole Clemson audience went ballistic whenever he made that break. Because it was, it was funny. It was the biggest dude on the field for, like, both teams. for both teams, really. Like, just having an open field in front of him. Like, like there was just a 15. And, and unfortunately, he wasn't fast enough to beat the guys chasing from behind him. But, like... The fact that he was able to like cause that disruption in the game was it. I, I think that was amazing. And then, apart from Trey, I will give a shout out to uh, to Cade Weston. I think it, this was his first time coming. It was you know, his, his first, very first varsity match. His very yeah, first varsity with match. And uh, it, like I was very happy, very surprised with him because I didn't know where he was going to be put on. First, when he went off down to the field, I was like, oh, where, where's Cade going to go? And he went out to uh, play the scrum half. And talking earlier about uh, Ben's try, it, the ball went from Reed to Cade. Cade drew not one, but two defenders and passed it out to Ben for Ben to, to basically have a, like an open space and go. So he not only, Cade not only drew it in his own defender that was across from him, but the outside uh, defender, I think it was like the 14, he bit in just enough on Cade for Cade to pass it out to Ben and then have that defender have a kind of like a open arm diving, you know, yeah. attempt at a tackle that Ben was able to swat away. So that was one key play. And then he was really good at, at, in, the, in securing uh, rocks too. Yeah, so he brought was, on some real intensity. Of Cade. Of Cade. Yeah, he brought on some real intensity on the end of the yeah. game. But like you said and earlier, all of the all of the subs had amazing games. Yeah, they all very impressive. So, uh, any final words for this this past weekend's game from the fly half? Well, so I, I think we had a lot of positives coming out of that game. Um, I think we it was a f fantastic first run out as you know in a in an official match because that was our first match. Uh, we'll look to build offensively, get a little more work on our pattern going, but um, I think it was a good way to start the season, good motivation for the guys to see, look, we can get this, we can move forward, it's a good starting point. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for offensively, and then, yeah, we, we just keep working on defense, and we should be in a good spot to go into the rest of our, our conference matches in the D1A Mid-South, so I'm excited. Yeah, we have Navy in. Five or so weeks, about yeah, about October nineteenth. So we have a lot of uh, room. We have a lot of time to improve. 
um, especially with like the little mistakes and nervousness early on we need to try to see if we can hump, get over that hump but apart from that I agree with Tom 100% like that was a good it was a good confidence booster as well yeah. so I know a lot of guys coming into this season uh, were kind of like wondering okay what, what's our team identity going to be what are we going to play how are we going to look and then I think that game really like showed the team that we are we want to be so. I, th- I think our determination was definitely evident in that game, um, mm-hmm. and so if we we just bring that determination, we keep working our pattern. It should be should be set up for a good season. Yeah, because yeah. we we did not quit, which was fantastic. Yeah. There were no heads that went down, even when we were down by a few points. Exactly. No, everybody was hungry, which was great. Yeah, everybody eats. That was everybody the eats. Yeah, that was a slogan last year, and it, it's funny that it's rolled over into this year. I hear that at, at whenever I come out to watch y'all play practices or the scrimmage, or uh, you hear, you hear, I'm ready to eat, and and that's it's funny to hear that every single time I'm it there. It works. I mean, that's yeah. a good motivator. Yeah, it, it's it seems to be like a nice trigger for everybody, like the, the to get in their game mode, you know? Yeah. So. So, into we're we're gonna have a. Uh, new segment this week. Um, so I know last week I kind of teased that we were going to do World Cup predictions, but uh, unfortunately in terms of scheduling with everybody who was supposed to be on the show, it didn't work out for this week. So instead we're going to do a uh, Rugby 101 session with everybody. So and we know that we have a lot of listeners who may or may not know a whole lot about rugby. So right now we're going to just try to teach as much as we can, especially verbally. Uh, whatever, just to you guys, especially in lead up to the World Cup, so that when you see the World Cup, you're like, oh, I know what is going on. Right, and and on top of that, like, for those who do know the game very well, all of us have friends who don't know the game. And and so we wanted to be a, a way for you to help teach the game to the community and to the people around you, because I know uh, my roommates, Two of them don't know the sport very well, have never played the sport, but they're always, they want to learn it and they love to come out and watch the Clemson team play. And I, I know CJ has, has lived with somebody who'd also come out to the game at some point, and I'm sure Tom, you're the same way. Yeah, yeah. Our, so I, I live with one of the other guys on the team, Chris Ulrich, but our, our third roommate, he likes coming out, likes watching, but has never really experienced the game or knows too much about it, but he's willing to learn, as you said, so. Right. So that's the purpose of what we want to do right now with this segment. So um, to start off with this segment, I actually compiled uh, four four things of uh, people usually come up to us. So when we usually recruit, when we talk to people who have never played the game, these are, I think, the four most said things (laughs) ever when talking about rugby. So the first thing, I always get is, isn't rugby just football without pads? Yeah, yeah, I hear that one a lot. It's it's not. It's surprisingly, it is a very different sport. It it doesn't stop unless there's a penalty or an infraction on the laws, and or or the ball goes out or somebody scores. But the, but the clock does not stop. No, the Even clock never those. stops. The clock continues to run. Unless uh, a ref calls time yeah, off for an injury. Much more like or, a soccer, soccer right, game where very, the, the time is continuous, the play keeps going, there is no stop and start with moving of downs or things like that. Uh, so it's much more fluid, I would say, in terms of playing. You have to do a lot more heads-up thinking during the match. So there's a lot more opportunity. One thing I do like to say about rugby versus football is that football is very much a coach-oriented sport. So, like, the coaches are the ones who call the plays. The coaches are the ones who make all the substitutions. The coaches are the ones that kind of teach those plays and all the different things on offense and defense. Whereas rugby, the coaches tell them, like, hey, this is what the pattern we should run. And then on the field, the players are the ones who are making it up as they go. Yeah, it's all about reading what's in front of you. And, and when somebody goes down, you, you don't stop. You, you keep going. You have to keep working on the field at all times. Like one of the, one of the big statements that in high school when I, when I was playing and in middle school when I was playing, like it was work off the ball. 
was like it was just a, something we would say and and it didn't matter who said it but when it was said every single individual realized we need to pick up our feet yeah. no matter where we are or what we're doing it was exactly on average the the guy who touches the ball the most has the ball for two minutes yeah. out of an 80 minute game you will have your hands on the ball for two minutes so for 78 minutes you have to work you have to get yourself into the positions you need to be in to then attack or defend and so work off the ball is a, is a key element in rugby. Okay, so the, the, second, the second thing I normally get whenever uh, I'm talking to somebody is, isn't rugby like super dangerous? Like, what would you guys say about that? I would say that rugby has a lower concussion rate than football does, American football. Just, I want to put that out there as a thought for all the people who love and enjoy and watch football and fear the concept of rugby as a, as a contact sport. I, I, I would say that um, it's not, I don't believe it's as dangerous. Obviously every sport you're going to find, have injuries uh, because it is a contact sport, it's a physical sport, but I wouldn't say it's dangerous because uh, before any of us were ever allowed on a field, we were taught how to tackle properly. And I would say that tackling in rugby isn't more of, it's not so much a, a hit. You don't go out to try and hit people like you do in football because A, you have to wrap, wrap your arms around the person when you tackle them. And so that lessens the severe impact of two players crunching into each other and more of a, you wrap them up and you take them to ground in a manner that is more controlled. And so I, I would say it's not as dangerous. Yes, it's physical. And sometimes, sometimes you're gonna get, uh, you know, someone will hit you pretty hard, like a tackle, where they'll wrap you up, and you don't really see it coming. But because you both have to go to ground, and you're both not wearing pads, I would say that it's not as dangerous. It's, it's all technique. Yeah. It's a lot of technique. Like uh, one thing that I always stress whenever I'm teaching the sport to anybody, and we're physically walking through motions for anything is you you start with technique whether it's your passing or your tackling or your scrummaging or your line outs everything starts with technique and and when you're doing a, a proper job with with working through your technique or teaching a technique like it's going to be safer you're not you don't hit people above the shoulders you're never going to take somebody's head off unless it's illegal it's it's not it's a penalty if you hit somebody above the shoulders. It's it's things things like in a scrum where we, where I was saying we would end up driving upward with them if they were standing. Like it's illegal because that's dangerous. There's there's so many nuances to each law to keep the game safer, and and they keep adding stuff to make it safer. Like the new law they added this summer with with scrums where you can't make contact with the other team until. The, the scrum has been set. Yeah, we talked about that last week. And um, another thing we also talked about like last week with uh, Kim and Marie was um, rugby is very much a, you're, we're, since again, there's the no pads aspect, everybody kind of knows on the field, like, hey, we don't want to hurt each other. So there's that mutual respect between us and the other team saying, I'm not going to kill you, you know, it's like, it's, it's a mutual respect between you and your opponent. It's like, I'm playing, I want to play this game because it's fun. You want to play this game because it's fun. We're not out here to kill each other. Because like you always see in football, like, you know, they always say, oh, you got to hit them in the mouth. You got to, you know, you got to take off their hands. Stuff like that. So no, there's a mutual respect. Yeah. And that, that doesn't eliminate hard tackles because there are plenty of those on the field. You know, guys are, they're running hard lines and, there are hard tackles going around, but it's not, you're not going out to try and hurt the other guy, like right, you said. Right, it's, it's a respect that I think spawns from the culture itself. Because um, unlike most American sports, you finish a game, usually shake hands with the other team, and then you offer them food, you invite them to a social. It's like, yeah. it's something where you, it's, you, you bond as a group, as a whole. It's a culture thing. It's and, called rugby culture. Yeah, it is all, it's for an a actual reason. thing. You know, you hang out with the guys after. Yes, on the field, intensity it flares up, um, but after you're all you're all there for a good time. You're all there to hang out, and so it's yeah, a mutual respect and understanding that hey, we're all just here for a good time. Absolutely. So. All right. 
So the next one I let, or I hear a lot um, is you only have to be big in order to play. So like a lot of kids will come up to me and be like, I don't really want to play because look at me, I'm, I'm tiny. I'm like 160, like, you know, like five foot, you know, eight, 160. And it's like, well, you'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, you look at, I always say, because look at G, like Gio, his freshman year. Giovanni Melli, he, he played with us previously and he's now helping out with teaching the rookies the game uh, on the men's club. And, and he is a, he was a very small dude freshman year. And he would go into contact and just, he would win contact. He'd positive tackles. He was, what, 20, like 25 pounds less than your average, like, weight for that size. Exactly. And, uh, and I always pointed out, uh, some, there are some professionals in the game. I know South Africa currently has a wing, Chesling Colby, <laughs> yeah. who is 5'9 who is five, five, and about 170 pounds. And he is in with all the big boys like Bastereau who must be 260 pounds so he's in there professional level so there's always room there's always positions for guys who are who are slightly smaller so yeah don't let that deter you if you think oh I've got to be big no you don't have to be big I always yeah. like to say rugby is a sport for all shapes and sizes yeah yeah uh, growing up they taught me the heart the bigger you are the harder you fall so anybody can make that happen so. it's true and then this brings me to my last one. Uh, a lot of people come up to me and say, uh, why isn't rugby any, a bigger sport in the United States? Like, why, why is it that I don't see it on TV or well, anything like that? It's growing very quickly. So it, it is a direct competitor as a contact sport with football. In, in, like, it's gonna draw a very similar audience because it's a contact sport, it's intense, it's, 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 those are the same types of people that watch that kind of sport. And, and for, in the United States, like American football is, takes a cake for, for a contact sport audience. And no, no sport competes with it on, on any level when it comes to uh, audience, like a retention, just investment, and, and so, it's growing for sure. It is. It is one of the fastest growing in the country, which is is big. We've just developed our own professional league, like a couple years ago. Now we've had two formal seasons with the major league rugby program, and any previous professional league before that has has collapsed. And so, so it's partially a money thing because it's it, it requires funding to build something at a professional level, and so finally the MLR has figured more of that out. Um, as well as just it's it's finding more people who will learn the sport at a youth level, which comes from people think it's a da it's dangerous. People would rather their kids play football, and and people having the misconception about how big you need to be. Yeah. So, ending on that, we're gonna start talking a little bit about the rules. So rules. Laws. Are laws. Or not rules. Laws. They're laws. I'm, I'm picky on this. It's, it's, in rugby, it is laws because when you are dealing with a ref or a sir being the final say, laws can be bent, not broken. Many times when you're playing the sport, people get away with doing stuff at any level of play. People get away with doing stuff that aren't necessarily legal decisions on the field, such as like, but when you're when you're rucking through and you just kind of put more weight onto the the ball carrier who's placed the ball back, that's like that's something where you're supposed to hold your own weight. But many times people get away with not holding their own weight because a ref or a sir is allowed to let that pass. So you can bend the law, but you don't break it. Exactly. So, so that's my fine. mantra for that. Fine. Okay. <laughs> From here on out, if I say a rule, I'm gonna correct you. Then you correct me. Yeah. So laws, 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 laws. Okay. So. so first thing, the ball. So many, many years ago, and at the rugby school in England, a, a boy known as Webb Ellis was playing soccer, and he picked up the ball and ran with it. This the game began rugby. Okay. 
So <laughs> the ball, it, it's a weird ball, I would say. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's silly to think like, I mean, it spawned from a soccer ball, like yeah, or yeah. A, a football for yes. those who are from, from everywhere, yes. yeah, everywhere else in the world. <laughs> but so. it's just like, I mean, it's the Webb Ellis Cup for a reason, right? Like, yeah, exactly. That's so. the, the name of the Rugby World Cup trophy. Yeah. It's the Webb Ellis Cup for the founder of the game, yeah. as CJ said, in rugby. But because it came from a, a soccer ball, it's why it's so much rounder. It's compared to, like a, compared football. to a football. Yeah, it, it's a similar shape to a football as in it's elongated. Um, Oval. Yeah, ovalish, elongated, but it is much more round. Uh, and there are no, there's no uh, big stitches on yeah, it. No They're all internal. There used to be. There used you to be. Can, old you can rugby see balls are the old leather like, traditional. Exactly. And old, old soccer balls are like that as well. Right. They had the big stitching. It's just football kept it. And when we got better technology where we could stitch on the inside, both soccer and rugby went to internal stitching. Yeah. But, so first you have a ball. What comes next? You have to have a field. So in <laughs> rugby, we don't call it field. We call it a the pitch. pitch. It's yes. the pitch. So what would you like to say about the pitch? Well, um, so for Americans, it would seem really odd because it's all measured in meters. It's, it's a European sport, right? It's not going to be using the same measurement system. It's yards. Right, right. And so the, the oddest thing that I think people will look at is you have a 22-meter line, yes. which is it's pretty much halfway between your midfield line and, and your, your try line, yeah. your goal. Yeah. yeah. So it's different because you only really have, you have your, your try lines, which is your scoring lines, mm -hmm. and then you have three, only three other solid lines on the field. And that's your 222s and your 50 meters. Yeah. So, so traditionally, a rugby pitch is 100 meters long from try line to try line. You usually then have about a 10 meter in goal area, a bit like the end zone in football. So that's the area of the field that you're trying to score in. And then the halfway line, obviously, is at 50 meters. And on either end, in either half, is the 22 and the 22. So, and then it's about 70 meters wide, usually. Yeah. Those, are, those are the standard dimensions of a rugby pitch. So in the if, U.S., give or take a few, because a lot of times schools will play on fields that are built for football or soccer, um, exactly. and, and it, it just changes the, yeah. the width a bit. Um, but in, in standard play, what you would witness in the World Cup and you'd witness in professional level play, it's, it's about 70. It does seem quite wide to a lot of people, especially in America, who haven't seen a pitch this wide before. Yeah, it's, but it's you're having wide. 15 players on each side of exactly. the field, so, so it, it, it balances out quite well. Yes. And then uh, one other thing that seems very odd, at least to football-minded people, is that the goalposts are in the front of the, uh, on the first try line instead of behind the end goal. So for like people who may remember it, that it used, that's how you, it used to be in like football, that the field goals would be towards the front of the uh, touchdown of the end zone instead of behind it. But now, like in rugby, it's in the front. So yeah, it's a strange thing. And, and you can actually, so you can score using those posts. What a lot of people don't realize is like they're a part of the field, they're a part of the, the try. Like, you can, you can, as long as your player touches the ball down on the front of the post, like it counts. Yeah, it has to be at the at the at base. The ground. At, yeah, at the base. It has to be touching the ground and the post pad, and that is considered a legal try. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, it's for, it's odd. It, yeah. I will agree. I mean, I grew up in the America. Like I grew up watching football and rugby, and I always kind of questioned that as well. But um, part of that's because in in football you have a standard end zone size. In rugby, like depending on where you're playing, it changes the, the depth of the try zone can change. So like as Tom was saying, ten, like I've seen some that are upwards of like twenty. So it, it's it's just more standardized for the sport. Right. In a way. And then uh, 
and then you've got your, your dotted line. Right. So, so there's a 10 meter line, which is a dotted line from the, from the middle 50 meter line on the field it's on each side, and that's for kickoffs. You're, you, have to, you have to kick the ball off past that line for it to be considered legal. It's kind of like in volleyball, um, or no, not volleyball, like sports like badminton. Um, I know it's kind of out there, but I, I know in my high school, in my middle school, we played it as we had, that was one of the sports we had to learn. And there's a little space at the front of the net where you can't serve into. Um, Interesting. So Interesting I know it's a weird comparison, but that's where my, like, no, no, everybody I I've taught the sport, yeah, yeah everybody yeah. I know, like, in college, you can walk up to someone and be like, you want to play some badminton? And everybody knows the rules of badminton. It's it's yeah. it's silly, but I don't I don't know. It's true. So right. so now we have the field, now we have the ball. <laughs> How the heck are you supposed to score? Uh, well, you have to touch the ball down in the try zone. So yeah, you um, have to carry the ball over in the try zone, and then you have to put physically touch the ball down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so everybody knows a touchdown football. It's basically a touchdown, but you actually have to put the ball. You actually do have to touch, touch the, the ball, ball down. down. Yeah, the intuitiveness of the naming comes from, it, it, it's like, yeah, it's odd that so, they yeah. made the name that in football, but it, they don't physically do the action. Right. But, yeah. So um, once you score a try, that's what it's called, it's called a try, Right. that's five points. And then once you have that, you have the opportunity to kick a conversion from a tee, and that is another two points. And you have to kick it through the uh, goalposts. Now, one of the key things with that is, so the, the sidelines, I don't know if we've said this, are the touch lines. Yes. Um, and when you score, you have to kick the ball anywhere that's parallel with the touch line. Yes. So if you score right in the corner of the field, you have to bring the ball back onto the field for the kick space as long as you're right along the edge of the field parallel with, with your sideline. Yeah, so wherever, wherever you score, the kick must be taken in the same line as where you scored from. So right. As Ethan said, if you score all the way in the corner, you have to go along the exact same line, which is parallel to the touch line, going back however far you want in order to take the kick. So that's why uh, when you're first learning the game and you do make it into the, the try zone, They'll always say, try and run towards the middle of, and put it down right under the posts or right behind the posts because that way the conversion is much easier, much more like a PAT in football instead of scoring right in the corner, which means that you have it's a really a hard, hard angle to try and kick it through. Right. Um, on top of that, uh, my favorite form of scoring in the game of rugby is drop goals. Oh, boy. So... Uh, in rugby, you can kick at any point in the game. There's a form of kick that's called a drop kick. The ball has to physically touch the ground, and you, it bounces up when you kick it. Uh, and so when you're, when, when you're in middle of play, you can complete a drop kick through the posts uh, through, and, and get three points. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really impressive to watch happen. Especially like you can see a team setting it up and they just like pass the ball kind of deep to the to their best kicker usually on the team and he just like drop kicks it and slots it between the posts. It's beautiful. Yeah. So it's my favorite form of scoring because it's it's got a little bit of finesse to it. And that's worth three points um, and the, the conversion's worth two and then oh, the, yeah, the yeah. penalty kick which if an, an infraction is given in your favor you have the opportunity to kick for points off a tee, very similar to the conversion, but if you kick for points, it is then worth three points. So those are the, the ways to score in rugby. Yeah. So, oh, and then a penalty kick. Um, so you can kick off of a tee. So in rugby, there's different forms of penalties. One of them, uh, which we'll get to probably in the next few minutes, um, will allow you to set up a tee and kick the ball from the location of the penalty. Um, it's just like uh, in football when it's fourth down and you choose to put your 
kicker on the field and kick for mm -hmm. three points. Yeah. It's it's very similar, except very for similar. you don't you don't have to defend your kick in open play or anything. You just set up a tee and you get to kick, and that's that's the benefit from receiving, um, like that you receive from the other team causing a penalty. Okay, so now we have we have all the ball, the pitch, and the scoring. So when you're running with the ball and you have other teammates, how are you supposed to pass the ball to your teammates? Backwards. That's like rule one. That's what they yes. tell you all the time. Rule one of rugby, pass the ball backwards. Yes. You cannot throw the ball forwards. You can kick the ball forwards. Yes. At any time. But you must pass the ball backwards. Yes. So or, or, or laterally. It can, be, it can be in line. But that is a, that's an very, area for interpretation. Very, yeah. For, for the, the referee who's who's officiating the game, he will make any judgment call about whether your ball was going backwards or whether he believes it went forwards. So that is that is his his interpretation. Okay. So now I'm running with the ball. And I get tackled. I get like tackled. What do I do after that? Uh, well, so this is very unique to the sport. It is called a ruck, is what forms above a tackled player. A ruck requires, now, it used to not, it requires one person from either team to make a ruck. A ruck develops your offsides line for uh, each, well, for the defending team. Um, or, yeah, and, and if the ball's turned over, the offsides line is the same for the other team. So, they off, so I'll start from the first person. Your player comes in and sets a ruck over the player who got tackled. Yes. It has to go directly over from your side of the pitch, like parallel with the touch line, as we were saying earlier. This is the gate. It's, it's, it's very tough to explain just verbally, but it's, it's just it's the width of the player who's been tackled, who's been tackled yes. parallel to the touch line. So, so CJ is running with the ball, and he gets tackled. Ethan is coming in support to help him, and he goes over, he basically stands right over the top of CJ and protects him. And so the ball. And the ball. ball. And so that is what, what Ethan was talking about, is a, is a ruck. So it just requires one person to go over and try and protect the ball. And so if the defending side sees an opportunity, they can try and send a person over to make space so that they can try and steal the ball. But that, that area where there's the tackled player and his width is called the gate, and then one person going over to try and protect it is called, it's called a ruck. Now, there's a lot of specific things with a ruck that matter. Um, and you, when you are like in that situation where I am protecting the ball and, and over CJ, I have to be able to hold my own weight. So that's, that's a very important por portion of a ruck. You can't just like fall on the man. You can't dive onto him or, or, or anything like that. You have to physically hold yourself up, and you have to be able to compete. So part of that's, that's a purpose behind the ruck, is that it rewards the defending team who makes a tackle an opportunity to earn the ball back. Yes, exactly. So let's say I'm running with the ball or I'm getting, trying to get, catch a pass, and let's say I throw it forward, or I forget to catch the pass and the, the ball goes forward. What happens after that? Well, that is a, a form of penalty. So in, in rugby, there's multiple different types of penalties that cause what's called a set piece. Set pieces are ways to reset the game. They're uh, the specific penalty that or, um, or infraction on the laws that CJ is talking about is a forward pass or a knock-on. Um, when you drop the ball forward is a knock-on. So um, This causes a scrum. So as everybody likes to say to me when, we're, when I'm trying to show them the sport is like, is it when like the people, like group of people just like push against each other? Yes, you have your one through eight, eight players on each side packed together, literally, and, and drive against each other for possession of the ball. The yes. team that rolls the ball in is the team that benefits from 
the previous yes. infraction. So right. if CJ's team knocked the ball on and Tom was on the other team, Tom's team would get to roll the ball in for yes. the scrum. Yeah, and, and my team would be expected to make, retain possession from right. the scrum. Would be expected to win it. So other the the other uh, outcome of an infraction of a, a in game of one of the laws is is just um, it's a long arm penalty is kind of the best way to describe it. It's when the ref like throws his hand way up into the air. That's what you'd consider a long arm penalty. And that allows the team to kick the ball out of bounds and trade territory for confirmed possession because you have to compete in a different form of set piece called a line out. So yeah, a line out occurs when anybody who's on offense either steps out of bounds, kicks the ball out of bounds, or say, again, Ethan was saying there's a long arm penalty and the offense, the team who did not uh, did not uh, commit the commit infraction. The, yeah, commit the infraction. That's what I was looking for. Who was able to kick it out of bounds and then retain possession with an, uh, a lineout. So lineout is where you see the two lines of, on offense and defense, and then you have the hooker who likes to, who throws it in. It's kind of like in soccer where you have an overhand throw just going up. But rather than being able to direction it wherever you want, you have to go straight down a channel. And a lot of people look at this and see the, uh, the men throwing each other up in the air to grab that ball. Yeah, so you're, you're allowed to lift your own teammates into the air to try and catch the ball that's being thrown in by the hooker. Um, and again, similar to scrums, the team that is throwing the ball in is expected to retain possession when throwing it in because they're allowed to make their own line-out calls so they know where the, where the ball should end up and then they can attack from there or, or do whatever. Okay, so we covered line-outs, we covered scrums. Now, you were talking about long-arm penalties. What are some examples of infractions that are considered long-arm penalties? Well, um, we were talking earlier about tackling properly and you can't hit them above the shoulders and, and hitting them from the neck and the head, that will cause a long arm penalty. Um, because it's, it's a long arm penalty basically is from a serious infraction. It, it's, it, can be, it, it can be dangerous for the game. It, it can be important for both teams in terms of like causing serious disruption of the flow of the game. So. Uh, I, I know a ref can or a sir can award a long arm penalty for a team if they're talking back to the sir and they're and they're really trying to cause problems really. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, those are a few serious moments. It's it's just for important decisions. Decisions. Yeah. During the match. So all right, so is there any other thing that you guys would like to say, especially on the rules? Or laws, my bad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, my bad. What, they're, I mean, they're, they're con as you said earlier, they're constantly working to make sure that all the laws maintain player safety, and that's why they've been implementing new ones with the scrums. Uh, so they are constantly tweaking these laws to further improve the game, but currently uh, the game is... It's, really fun to play. I encourage everyone to get out, at least watch if you don't want to play, but uh, yeah. And you can always, if you're interested in trying to learn the game, fantastic way is just watch, because you'll see a lot of the things that we're talking about. And watch full matches, because there are full matches on YouTube to watch. You can literally just put in, you know, Scotland, Ireland, full match, I don't easy. I know Chris and I have been watching all the Rugby World Cup warm-up matches on YouTube. They put all yeah. of them on there sort of the day after. I'm pretty sure we've got one lined up to watch later, but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic way to learn, and, and you'll get to see some of the things we've been talking about today in the, in the episode. So um, I'd like to wrap things up and uh, thank you all for listening again this week, and I hope that what you heard with the Rugby 101 
you can show that to people who you want to get into the, watching the sport or learning the sport or, or, or just growing the community. So thank you very much for listening. Next week, we'll, we, we will pick up with our World Cup predictions. I believe Tom will be returning again next week. Cool. He's got a lot to I'm say. I'm very excited. There, there are some, some points I'd like to put out there. So <laughs> I, I really hope you, you tune in next week. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening. I am Ethan Richards, and your other host is CJ Bakel, as well as joined with us Tom Goodall. Thank you very much for listening.